Father, we are mindful that we are on a, a journey. And sometimes uh, this journey is more difficult than at other times. There are times when it's, uh, it's a pretty good ride. And there are times when we experience much favor and much blessing in different areas of our life. And for those times, we are thankful. But there are other times where it is difficult and it seems like we're going uphill, very steep hill, and the air is thin and it's harder to catch our breath and we're easily fatigued by the pressures of life. This right now is not an easy time. There are guys in here under great pressure. There are guys in here that are without employment and they still have obligations. We are men, so we carry responsibility that you have given to us. And sometimes those responsibilities, we can get one too many and we begin to get weighed down, and we begin to get discouraged, and we begin to uh, wonder where you are at times. So much of the Christian life is just plodding. It's just putting one foot in front of the other. It's just the process of keeping going and moving and following you. You said, follow me. Paul said, you follow me as I follow Christ. So in the midst of hard times, in the midst of many challenges and many pressures, we keep following you. We thank you that you have given us promises that you will always make a way for us you said, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. What a promise. I will strengthen you. Surely I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. We're not in this by ourselves, Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. And you're leading us, and you're directing us, and you're making a path for us. And there is a reason that we are in the difficulties that we are in. We don't always see it. We don't always understand it. But most of us in here have walked with you long enough that we can trust you with where we are. Because we know your character, and we know your promises, and we know your provision we don't necessarily like it. But there are reasons we cannot see that you know all about which would explain why we are in this place. Help us to be teachable. Help us to tune our ears into the frequency of your word. May, may bitterness not become a static that keeps us from hearing your voice to us in the scriptures. Give us hearts that are quick to respond. Make us teachable men. You have put people around us who love us. Give us wisdom to listen to those who listen to you. He who walks with wise men will be wise, the Bible says. Thanks for these guys who have taken the time out of their schedule to be here tonight. We all need something from you. We are needy men. Every day we need fresh manna. Every day. We need sustenance to keep us going so we can keep putting one foot in front of another. So tonight.
Tonight, Lord, we ask that you would remind us of what is true. Encourage us in our responsibilities not to lose heart and not to grow worried, but, but to be men of courage, to fight off fear by thinking about what you have said to us and what you have promised to us. Help us to apply our faith. Help us to take what we know to be true about you and apply it to our situations. That's our prayer tonight. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The uh, last two weeks, for me, have been very interesting weeks. If we had have met last Wednesday, if there hadn't been an ice storm, I would not have been here. Two weeks ago, I got a call from my mom in California that my dad had, uh, who was 85, and my dad had gotten a little wobbly. Um, my, my dad was healthy as a horse until he was 80. And when he was, I, I, I think my dad had spent one night in the hospital his entire life up until he was 80 because uh, he'd had a boil lanced or something and they were concerned. They kept him in overnight just for observation. Other than that, he'd never been in a hospital in his life. But when he was 80, he developed some cancer in his sinuses of all places. And you know about chemotherapy. They, they give you chemo, and they got to kill you to keep you alive. And my dad aged in a matter of weeks. Um, well, uh, Mom called me about two weeks ago, and she, she said, uh, I heard a thud this morning about 4 o'clock, and I went there, and Dad was on the floor. And I don't know what happened, but... And somehow he was able to crawl back into the bedroom. Uh, it happened again the next night, and this time he hit his head. And, and Mom called me, and I said, well, Mom, I'll be right out. And she said, no, Jeff's here. Just, just, let me just bring you up to date. Uh, we took him into ER, and they checked him over and said, okay, you know, looks like you're going to be fine. Just go home and rest. And he did. But he got listless as the day went by. And she called their other doctor, and he said, get him in here right now. And they got him in there and did a CAT scan, which the first doctor didn't do. So that's a lawsuit right there, and that's my retirement as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Actually, we're not going to do that. But the guy should have done it, and he didn't. So they, uh, they got him in there and did a CAT scan, and he was bleeding profusely between his skull and brain. So they had to take him in the surgery to relieve the pressure, and once again, I said, Mom, I'll be right out. She said, well, they, the doctor said it's going to be three days before we know how he responds, and I might need you. He wouldn't know if you're here now or not, so why don't you just hold off, and let's just see what happens. He may be coming out of this, and so we're kind of playing a waiting game. And uh, I'm trying to get the, the timing right on this. It, it was last Friday she called and said, you better get out here. So, no, wait a minute. What is today? It's Friday a week ago. So I got out there. And uh, so we, we started doing shifts there in, in the room. And my dad never regained consciousness. And uh, early Monday morning... He went home to be with the Lord. Uh, and that's what we were praying for. We were just asking the Lord to, to promote him and to take him. And as I was uh, sitting in that room with my dad, I was just talking to him. Because you never know if they can hear you or not, so I'm just assuming he can. And that was uh, a pretty special time.
just to talk with him, just to tell him some things that, that, that were on my heart. And uh, as Roger and I were saying, to encourage him to say, hey, Dad, we got Mom covered. You just go. You just go be with the Lord. And I told my dad about uh, at one point, I said, you know, Dad, Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he was dying of cancer, great pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, who died in 1981. I think he died of pancreatic cancer. Um, and there were other complications. But as they called the family together, and for some reason he, was, he had lost his ability to speak. But they all gathered round, and he motioned to his wife he wanted to write a note. And he wrote out a note, and his wife read it, to the entire gathered family as they were getting ready to pray for him. And the note said, do not pray for my healing. Do not hold me back from the glory. Now that's a note. <laughs> Isn't it? That's a note. And I told my dad that story. And I said, you know, Dad, I'm praying, I'm praying you just, the Lord takes you. Because I was. So it's, it's, so then we uh, did the memorial service last Thursday. And that was really a celebration. It was a, it was a, it was a real celebration. Uh, and family and friends who came from, again, this is central California, came from up and down the coast. And, and, and I got to tell you something, we had a great time. It was a great time celebrating a life uh, that was well-lived. Not perfectly lived, but well-lived. And we had friends hanging around. And so that night, Thursday, I, uh, uh, I probably got to bed at 10. And then I got up at 2.30 because I had to drive three hours to get to an airport to fly to Houston to speak Friday night. Um, it took me from central, it took me 15 hours to get to Houston. That was an interesting day. In the San Joaquin Valley, I was raised there, but I had forgotten this. They have something called Thule fog. And if you've ever been out there, you'll read in the paper every once in a while, there'll be a horrible accident on I-5, you know, 100 cars. It's because of fog, and it's so bad you can't see the line. So I'm driving, trying to get to the airport. And the concentration level is unbelievable that it takes to drive in that fog. Finally got to the airport, made the plane, and we sit for two and a half, two hours, two and a half hours. Got to, walked into the church 15 minutes before I was supposed to speak. Spoke Friday night. I was so revved up, I had trouble going to sleep. Uh, woke up early, did two more sessions Saturday. Uh, got home about six. Um, Saturday night, um, woke up Sunday, didn't come to church because I was absolutely emotionally wrung out, and I didn't want to talk to anybody. I needed the process, and Mary stayed with my mom, and she's out there for another week or so, and uh, nobody came by the house. My kids were out there or just coming back, so it was quiet all day Sunday. And then Monday, um, I was meeting with someone Monday night, and I canceled it, and I just basically did a few things, but did the same thing. And then Tuesday, I basically did the same thing. I've been processing this. Um, I, I, I have never had anyone close to me, except my brother Mike, die. And... You, you know, you read, you know, they got all this grief stuff and you read all these books and I, I know there's something to that. But uh, let me tell you where I am. I, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm, I'm not grieving. I'm sure that'll come. But I have such a sense of gratitude and quite frankly relief for the way the Lord worked that out. I really do. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, i got to teach that men's study Wednesday night at Stonebriar. Maybe there'll be ice and snow again. 
But there wasn't. You know, I've been thinking about the last couple of days. I was thinking about my dad. And I started thinking about Caleb. We've been looking at Joshua and Caleb. And why have we been looking at Joshua and Caleb the last several months? Well, we've been doing this study on giants. And the reason that we remember Joshua and Caleb is that they were men who were willing to fight the giants. And once again, if you've been here through this study, you could get up and give this little rehash of this study on giants very easily. Because our premise has been, if you want to be used by God, you're going to have to what? You've got to fight the giants. Obviously, some of you have not been here enough, or we would have had an overwhelming response, but we didn't. So that's okay. I'm glad I repeated it. If you're going to be used by God, if you want to be used by God, if you want to make a difference, you're going to have to fight giants all the way through your life. That's just how it works. What do you mean you have to fight giants? Numbers 13, the 12 spies go into the land. The land promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They look at the land. This is where they're going. 430 years in Egypt as slaves. They're coming out, going into the land. They'd just done the 10 plagues. They'd just done the Red Sea thing. God has shown his power. They get 12 guys, leaders, one from each tribe, going to the promised land, 40 days of recon, come back, give their report to Moses and Aaron and the people, and they say it's a wonderful land, but 10 of the guys say there are giants in the land, there are Anakim, Anakim, which there were, and we can't take these guys. A literal race of giants. We cannot take these guys. Joshua and Caleb, this is number 13 and 14, said, what do you mean we can't take them? God will fight for us. That's why we remember out of the 12, we only remember Joshua and Caleb. Is that not right? You don't know any of those other 10 yo-yos. You know why you don't know their names? Because they were yo-yos. Quite frankly, in the eternal scope of things, they were, they were useless and they were worthless. Because they did not take what they saw God do. They saw him open that sea. They saw him send the plagues. And the plagues, at a certain point, they, the Lord said the plagues will come on Egypt, but not on Goshen where they lived. So when the darkness came, it was dark in Egypt, but on the border at Goshen, it was light. They saw that. Yet they didn't think God would help them take the giants. That's absolute lunacy. We remember Joshua and Caleb because they were willing to fight the giants because they knew God was the God who trumped every giant. So this is why we name our sons Joshua and Caleb. This is why some of you guys have named your daughters Joshua and Caleb. <laughs> because we hold them in such high regard. I want you to flip with me to Joshua 14. And we're kind of jumping ahead here tonight. But I want to show you something about Caleb. Such a unique guy. In Joshua 14, uh, what they're doing, they're, they're dividing the land. And, you know, they didn't take the whole thing all at once. It was, it was, a, it was a process over years. In Joshua 14, verse 6, Then the sons of Judah that was Caleb's tribe, drew near to, the, to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, here's Caleb talking to Joshua, you know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. He's going back to this spy thing. And I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me, and, and Joshua knows all this, of course, because Joshua was there. He was the other guy. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. They panicked the people. Now watch this. But I followed the Lord my God fully. Have you ever thought about what they might put on your tombstone? Ever pondered that? I heard Howard Hendricks one time talk about being somewhere, speaking somewhere. There was an old church, old church. Churches used to have cemeteries, and this was in New England somewhere. And he just starts walking through this graveyard looking at these 
tombstones from the 1700s. And he's reading the inscriptions. And then there were some that were more recent. What would you want put on your tombstone? Hendrick said he saw one of the headstones, gave the guy's name and date of birth, date of death, and it simply said, I told you I was sick. A little bitterness there, don't you think? The guy had some issues. You know a great thing to be, uh, to have placed on a, on a headstone? Would be what we just read. I follow the Lord my God fully. It was said of uh, King Amaziah in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles 25.2. It said this of King Amaziah. It, it says, Amaziah did right in the sight of the Lord but not with a whole heart. There are, uh, there are men who are half in and half out. They're not following with a whole heart. In, in American history, um, at a certain point, there, there was a uh, dispute that occurred because you had people whose parents had followed the Lord and their grandparents had followed the Lord, but they really weren't following the Lord, but they wanted their, they wanted their kids baptized. They practiced infant baptism in some of these denominations. And there became a, a dispute. Well, if you're not following the Lord, why, and, and, you know, the whole commitment is that you would bring your children up in the admonition and fear of the Lord. Well, well, that's, you know, that, that's, that, that, what does that have to do with it? I want them baptized. And they had a dispute, and they called it the halfway covenant. What are we going to do with these people who are halfway in? God doesn't like half in. He doesn't like divided hearts. It's to a church that he said in Revelation, I I would that you would be hot or cold rather than lukewarm. God hates lukewarm. And what's lukewarm? It's, it's half-hearted Christianity is what it is. God hates half-hearted Christianity because, in essence, it's not Christianity. There's another term I'd like to use instead of half-hearted. But, you know, they put it on CD and somebody gives it to their wife and they get upset. Write me emails. So I'm not going to say that term, but you know what I'm thinking. Right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. I love this guy, Caleb, because looking back on the events with the 12 spies, he, he, he said, hey, I, I follow the Lord my God fully. Now, behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years. So Caleb now is 85 years old. Uh, from that time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I'm 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me, as my strength was then, so my strength is now, for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, now this, this is wild. This is what I want you to see. So this guy is 85. You know what happens to us? We get older, and we tend to put it on cruise control. We've got this retirement mentality in America, or we used to. Not right. That's pretty much over. You say I worked for GM for forty-nine years. Well, you're screwed. You're in big trouble. We have this retirement mentality. This guy didn't have a retirement mentality. By the way, that retirement mentality seems to be going by the wayside, and we've developed an entitlement mentality. But that's all I'm going to say on that. This guy didn't have a retirement mentality. This guy didn't have an entitlement mentality. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me when I was 40. 
uh, as my strength was in, so strength is now, for war, for going out, for coming in. Now then, hey, Joshua, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. You remember back then? And we were promised this? Let me have it. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there. Here they are again. The suckers, 85 years old, they're dividing the land. They got to go in and take. They're not done yet. He says, let me have it. By the way, the giants are in there. Does that deter him? Does it scare him? Does it cause him to back off? No, he wants it. He wants to face the giants. We saw this guy when he was 40 with Joshua. They were willing to fight the giants. Now the sucker's 85, and he's still willing to fight them. That's refreshing. Is it not? You bet it is. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day that Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. Joshua blesses him, gives him Hebron. Verse 14, therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, until this day. Watch this. Because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. Fully. I like this guy. We've been talking about Joshua and Caleb and how they fought the giants, and we face different giants. They, giants are they're different giants. Every guy in here is fighting some kind of giant. For, for some of you, it's uh, Kim was telling me that they told him two years ago he, he wouldn't be alive. Well, he comes walking in with a friend tonight. Here he is. But that's a giant he's fighting. But not everyone's fighting that giant. We're fighting different kinds of giants in this room. If you're following Christ, you're fighting a giant. And the giants come and go, and they change. We, we live as believers from faith to faith. As we're on this journey, we put one foot in front of the other. God comes through, defeats a giant, and then you keep walking, and another giant's coming. You just know that. But I love this guy's mentality. He was willing to take them on. I, I think that's incredibly healthy. And I'll tell you what else it is. I think it's incredibly masculine. God wants his men to be men. God wants his men to be bold. Paul prayed. Paul, Paul said, I want you to pray for me that I would be bold. We have so many passive men. So many. It drives wives insane, does it not? Um, we're to be bold. We're to be out in front. We, we are to be warriors for the Lord. Um, why is it that we have such high regard for Joshua and Caleb? Uh, and why have we been studying their lives and, and the giants they faced? See, here's what happens. Um, they followed the Lord. He followed the Lord fully. What did Joshua say? Joshua had the same heart. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, this guy over here and this guy here and these guys and all these guys, you know, I don't give a rip what they do, but as for me and my house, we're following the Lord. You, you, you set it clear. You mark it out. That's what your life is all about. What happens when you put foot in front of foot, step in front of step, and you follow Christ, and you continue to trust in him that he will come through for you as you fight the giants, but you have this willingness to grow and mature in Christ. Here's what happens. You get to the end of your life, and you know what happens? You become a giant. That's what happens. Do you, let, me, let me throw something out to you. How many of you guys know, I got to think about this for a minute. I got to get the chronology. At Christmas time, my son Josh, we're all hanging out at Christmas, and Josh was over there on Mary's computer, and he said, hey, Dad. I said, yeah. He said, what's Papa's dad's name? He was on Google. And I said, Juby. He said, Juby. I said, Juby. So how do you spell that? J-U-B-Y. He said, okay. 
I said, Juby Spurgeon Farrar. Middle name after C.H. Spurgeon. And he Googled it in. And he was at some site, and, and he found... It, it, now, I, I remember my, my grandfather, but he died when I was 10. Josh never knew him. Josh really doesn't know much about him. Josh was asking me about it. I said, he's a pastor. He goes, yeah, I remember, I remember Papa telling me that. And he started churches, yeah, yeah. Josh found his uh, World War I uh, draft notice on the Internet. Juby Spurgeon Farrar. Josh found his uh, payment of taxes in Los Angeles County in 1941. Never paid them. No, just kidding. <laughs> He had an entitlement mentality. No, he paid him. <laughs> so here, jo Josh really doesn't know much about his great-grandfather. Not because uh, he, just, he just didn't know a lot. But the more I told him about him, and then he started asking my dad questions, he, he, he was really fascinated. When a man, and, and, and he, said, he said, that's really something, Dad, how, how he lived and, and what he did. And I said, yeah, it was. Here's what I want to throw out to you guys. When, when a man follows the Lord fully, they should be talking about you and your family 100 years from now. Not because you started the company or because the money you made, but because you follow the Lord fully. This life is very brief. When I think it was the second day my dad was in the hospital, and I'm still here, and I'm talking to Mom. She said, don't come out yet. She called me one morning, and she said, Steve, i got to share with you this verse. I, I, I got Nana's old living Bible. Remember, some of you guys remember those old green living Bibles? Green, you know, cover? And she said there was a, a, a paper clip in the Psalms, and I just opened it up, and she said it's Psalm 90, and I knew what it was. She said, here's what I read this morning. As for the days of our lives, they contain 70, or if due to strength, 80 years. But their pride is but labor and sorrow for all of those years. For soon it is gone, and we fly away. And then you jump a verse, and it says this. So teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. You know, there's great wisdom in thinking about dying. There's great wisdom. One of the things that always fascinated me about William Randolph Hearst, the great media mogul, uh, Gosh, that, that guy owned papers. It was just all over the world. The, the great media baron. Do you know it? His, his castle in San Simeon, California. Every morning they would bring in the papers from all over the world. But there was something that was done to the papers before they were ever given to Mr. Hearst. Every reference to death was cut out of the paper. Because Hearst, was deathly afraid of death. He was deathly afraid of the thought of death. However, Psalm 90 says, you ought to think about death. You get 70, maybe 80 years, soon it's gone, we fly away. So then teach us to number our days that we might present to thee a heart of wisdom. In other words, in light of what's going to happen, and in light of where we're going, and in light of the fact that there is a reality that we're not on this earth forever, we ought to think about that. And in thinking about the truth, it should motivate us to live wisely in the time that we have remaining. Nothing you can do about what's already happened. We've all screwed up. We've all made mistakes. We've all done stupid things. You come to Christ that's covered under the blood. But today, what do I want to do? I want to live wisely because I've got children and I've got grandchildren watching me. You've got friends watching you. You've got neighbors watching you that you don't even realize are watching you. Now, here's what I want to do. 
uh, you know, it's interesting. Here's what, here's what I do. I talk to men all the time. It's really kind of crazy. I, I've had guys for years say, how, how do you get into full-time, how do you get in full-time men, men's ministry? And the first thing I tell them is, well, you get fired from a church. <laughs> that was my great plan. Actually, it wasn't, but, you know, that's what happened to me because I didn't have enough faith to step out because back then, no one did men's ministry full-time. Nobody. By the way, publishers didn't write books. They didn't even publish books to men back then in 1989, 1988. They'd tell you straight up, we don't do books to men. We just don't do it. But God had put that on my heart. So in an upstairs bedroom, I'm working on this little book that we called Point Man, and I didn't know if anybody would read it. I just knew I had to write it. I had to get it out of my system. So I'm up there writing this sucker. And it's interesting because, you know what I want to do tonight, guys? I just kind of want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about your life and how you're living your life and the influence you can have unknowingly and unwittingly as you follow the Lord fully. A lot of us think that if the truth were to be known... I think a lot of us sometimes struggle with meaninglessness. We want our lives to count. We, we want to do something. We want to influence. We want to impact. But we kind of look around and say, you know, I'm just an error. I'm not. I mean, yeah, what am I doing? But you never know what you're doing. You never know. So I'm upstairs. I'm writing this little book called Point Man. That, that's all I know. And when I would get stuck... When I would get stuck, and I, I just, you know, you, you get brain freeze, and you, you're dry, and you don't have anything. You know what I would do? This is the absolute truth. I would pray, and I would ask the Lord. I, 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 and I never told Mary. I never told anybody this because I was kind of embarrassed about it. But in order to kind of psych me up and, and to motivate myself, I, 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 was, I, I would say, Lord, if someone were to invite me to come, and speak to a football stadium full of men. Now, this was 1988 and 89. Okay? Promise Keepers didn't start till 91. But I'm trying to pump myself up. Lord, if someone, and I would envision the Rose Bowl, because I remember going to the Rose Bowl. My dad took me and my brothers in 66, and Michigan State played UCLA. And it's, you know, 103,000 people. So I knew what 100,000 people looked like in a football stadium. Lord, if someone were to invite me to come and speak to a football stadium full of men, 100,000 guys, man, I'd be pumped. I'd be motivated. But since that will never happen, and that's what I said, because who would ever envision something like that happening? Since that will never happen, Lord, is there some way you could take this message in this book and get it out to 100,000 guys? I just prayed that. Once again, never told anybody I ever prayed it. About maybe three years later, about four years later, I got a call from the publisher that that month, Point Man had crossed 100,000 copies. And then two or three days later, I got a call from Promise Keepers saying, hey, are you clearing this date to speak at the Charlotte Motor Speedway? We think we're going to have 100,000 guys. Does God have a sense of humor or what? And they didn't have 100,000. They only had 73,000. It was a very disappointing crowd. <laughs> we were all just very depressed. Is that not just remarkable? And in that book, I wrote up front, I was just writing some things, and in that book I said, you should know that I'm not the real author of this book. My dad's the real author of this book. I just watched him, and I'm just writing it down. Saturday in Houston, I'm getting up to speak the last session. Guy grabs my arm. He says, Steve, you just got a second. I got to tell you, I was hoping I'd, I could tell you this. He said, my dad cut out when I was like four years old. Never knew him. And I came to know the Lord in college, and I'm a football coach here in town. And I got married, and I, did, I, I was just petrified of being a husband and father. 
but somebody handed me your little book, your book point, man. And, and he said, you know what? It showed me what to do. I mean, it showed me what to do. And he said, I want to thank you. I said, I didn't write it. My dad wrote it. I just watched him and wrote it down. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that guy, you know my heart. I'm not saying that to build me up. But as I was sitting there in that hotel room, hotel room, I didn't even know where I was. I was so tired at point. In that hospital room with my dad, at a certain point, I would just talk to him. At one point, I said, you know, Dad, I have guys come up and tell me all the time that their father wasn't a model. Their dad left. Their dad was passive. Their dad was half, uh, almost slipped there, was, was half committed. And they wanted to be a spiritual leader, but they didn't know how because they'd never seen it. It'd be like, you know, the Olympic, U.S. Olympic team coming in here and saying, hey, the cricket team all has the flu. We need 30 of you guys to go for the weekend to England and represent us and play cricket. Free trip. So we go to England. You guys ever played cricket? Remember the first time you played football? Remember the first time you went out for football and they gave you the pads? You didn't even know where to put them. Yeah. What about cricket? Have you ever seen cricket? They hand me the, the uniform, the pads. I don't know where the pads go. And then what do you Run left, right, backwards? I mean, I've never seen cricket. If you've never seen it, how do you know what to do? So if your father didn't show you how to be a spiritual leader, how would you know how to be a spiritual leader? But you really can't blame him because the reason he didn't show you is that his father didn't show him. Because his father didn't show him, you see how this works? And so what the Lord does is, what the Lord does is, he'll get a hold of a guy, and you begin to follow the Lord fully, and the closer you get to Christ, the better leader you become, and then you put a new link in the generational chain. That's how it works. Um, Really, my whole life and what I do in teaching men and in teaching the Scripture and when I go out and do conferences on spiritual leadership, basically what I'm doing is, I, see, I grew up thinking everybody grew up like that. But not everybody grows up like that. Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days that we might present to thee a, a heart of wisdom. I, you, you know, in my life, Joshua and Caleb are giants. And I'll tell you something else. My dad was a giant because of how I watched him live his life. It wasn't perfect, far from it. But I saw some things in his life. I observed, not, it's been said, it's not so much what is taught, it's what is caught. If someone's following the, the Lord fully from their heart, it's going to come out, is it not? We got all kinds of Texas cultural Christians that show up on Sunday, and they're different on Sunday than they are the other six days of the week because they're not following him with their whole heart. But when a guy is following him with his whole heart, wanting to, desiring to, there's going to be a consistency. There's going to be a congruency. We, 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 we use the phrase, he walks the talk. Not every guy who talks walks it. Right? Right. The guys who walk the talk are following with their whole heart. I, I want to give you five benefits that came into my life because uh, I was raised by a guy who was willing to fight the giants. Now, now here's, here's, here's the reason I'm doing this, is that we're still walking the earth. Some of you guys, have, some of you guys aren't married yet. How many of you guys are here and you're not married? Let me see you single guys. Okay, I want to say something to you. Get married soon. Just, just, I'm kind of tweaking you. It's, it's good for guys to get married. 
Now, if you've got a gift of singleness and celibacy, that's a gift from God, and that's not going to happen to you. But most guys, God's plan is, is that they marry. And, and a lot of guys today are afraid of marriage because their parents were divorced and all that. Let me tell you something. If Christ is in your life, you don't have to be afraid of marriage. Not at all. You say, well, I don't know what I'm doing. Nobody knows what they're doing when they get into it. But what you want to do is you want to find a gal who's got a heart for God. And you're attracted to. You don't need some knockout, you know. And if she's got character, I, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying physical appearance isn't important because it is. But I'm saying too many guys in our culture are so hung up on physical appearance. Find a gal you're attracted to who's got a heart for God. Get to know her. Spend time. Talk to her. Open your heart. Get to know this gal and then marry her. And then you get married and you have kids. And then you get exhausted from then on. <laughs> and you're worn out. And you got pains in your chest because you're trying to make the bills. It's great. You guys need to do this. <laughs> and you need to have kids because that's how you grow in Christ because you're selfish. And see, when you have a baby, that little sucker has no interest in serving you. So somebody's going to have to grow up, and it's going to be you. I'm kind of kidding, but I'm kind of not kidding. Don't be afraid to commit. Well, I want all my ducks in a row. You'll never have all your ducks in a row. Now, don't be stupid. Get some wisdom. Get some counsel. But don't be afraid. Too many guys are passive. Too many guys are reticent. Too many guys... Okay, enough said. So that's for the single guys. Some of you guys are married, and you have kids still at home. Let me see your hands. Okay, now, the reason I'm going to share this with you is because perhaps you didn't have the model that I had. So I'm going to share some stuff that you can implement this week. Some of you guys have grandkids. And so I've already done my job. Actually, you haven't finished because Deuteronomy 6 says so that you and your sons and your grandsons might fear the Lord. Our leadership doesn't just extend to our kids. It extends to the kids of our kids. Okay. I, I want to give you five things that I learned from my dad because I'm grateful for his and, and, and I don't know if this is going to make any sense to you guys. And let me tell you something. I really don't care. I, I think I kind of need to do this for me. And so I'm going to do it. And I think you'll benefit from it. And, and I want to say this. I want to emphasize this. There are no perfect men. There are no perfect fathers. And there are no perfect grandfathers. We're just men. Joshua and Caleb weren't perfect. But there's a desire in the man who wants to fully follow the Lord. There's a desire. There's, there's a desire to grow, and there's a desire to mature. And there's a desire not to be a child, not to be a kid, not to be a junior high spiritual adolescent. I want to move. I want to grow. I want to become a guy that embraces life and is a leader and makes a difference on the earth because one day I'm dying. What are they going to say about you at your memorial service? Can I say this to you? There's still time to correct some things. Okay, let me jump into this. I learned wisdom. My, my dad demonstrated wisdom that was transferred to me. And I'm going to give you, here's my heading. He demonstrated wisdom. I'm going to give you five ways. Number one. He demonstrated wisdom by loving Christ and his word. I've told this story in here before, but my dad was very disciplined. My dad loved Christ. My, my dad loved the church. But my dad loved Christ first. And the other thing I appreciate about my dad is that my dad was honest and he was real. Too many guys are churchy. Too many guys, when I say churchy, I mean weird. You know what I'm talking about? There's a lot of weirdness in Christianity. And when you're weird, you're not real. If something's weird, say it's weird. 
when your kids say, Dad, that was kind of weird at church, say, yeah, it was. Don't say, oh, you shouldn't say that. If it's weird, it's weird. Be honest. Be honest is what I'm saying. No, no, no perfect churches, no perfect people, you know. If it's weird, it's weird. Don't be excessively religious. I know a guy who every time I'm with him, I wish I wasn't. (laughs) And he's a good man. But the sucker is so cotton-picking religious. He's... He, he, never, he never just, he never just, he's never just, you can't always, you, you got to be real. I mean, you, you, you know what I'm saying? No, I didn't. I'm not going into that, but I didn't tell him. But look at. My dad demonstrated wisdom by loving Christ in his word. Christ was first. I, I had no, I, I'll never forget that. I remember one time my dad spoke, there was a parent-teacher thing or something, you know, a, a meeting, and my dad had to make a present. He got up and he said something to the teachers. And I, I'm like nine years old. I'm just sitting there. And my dad said, I want to thank you, teachers. I think you have the second most important job in the world. And then he just went on. And then afterwards... I'm standing with my dad, and people are coming up to my dad. Says, uh, excuse me, you said teacher has the second most important job. What's the first? My dad said preaching the gospel. Oh, well, of course, yes. <laughs> I just remember that. That's what my dad thought, so he said it. When you love Christ, you love God's word. My dad, here's what my dad would do. Get up in the morning, enter an alarm clock, go off at 545. My dad would get up, go in the kitchen, get his coffee, get his Bible, sit at the kitchen table and spend the first hour in the Word of God and praying for me and my brothers and our kids and our marriages. That's what my dad did. You could set your clock by him. I'm grateful for that heritage. I remember my dad taught an adult Sunday school class on Sunday mornings. Um, This is going to seem out of balance, but in a few minutes you'll see it isn't. On Saturdays, you know what my dad would do? At 9 o'clock, he'd take his Bible and his commentaries, and he'd go into the bedroom and shut the door, and he wouldn't come out until 4. You know why? Because he had to teach that Sunday school class the next morning, and he was going to be prepared. I know pastors that don't spend that much time. Now, if we had a game, he was there. He'd take breaks and throw us the ball and all that. But, I mean, that's what I saw. You know what that told me? God's word's important. And my dad loves God's word. I'll give you a second one. He demonstrated wisdom by loving my mom. My mom and dad were married for 60 years. And I'm grateful for that. And, and, and I, I'm going to shoot straight with you guys. Never on God's earth were there two people who were more different and opposite than my mom and dad. I mean... You know, today, couples get married, and they take premarital counseling, and they take you through these, you know, personality profiles to see if you match up. And if my folks had taken that, they would have flunked. Now, they loved each other, but I mean, you talk about different. You talk about, uh, would they get upset with each other? Would they disagree? Yeah. You know, the big thing today is, well, are we compatible? You know, or... or, or you know, we're divorcing for irreconcilable. Look, at my folks had irreconcilable differences all the time. I, I don't want to give you the idea that they didn't love each other, but they did. But I'm going to tell you something. They looked at life through two different lenses. And they stayed together. And divorce did not exist in their vocabulary. And I'm grateful for that. So, let me say this. To the guy in here who's here tonight and you're contemplating divorce and nobody knows it except you in your heart, let me tell you something. Don't do it. Don't do it. Well, I'm just not. Don't do it. Now, now I'm not saying there's never a ground for divorce, but I'm saying, I'm saying for 99% of the guys in here, 
that is a move you should not make. It's in the most ex extreme of circumstances. I'm just saying, the reasons that most guys today get divorced, don't get divorced. My dad loved my mom. He really loved her. I always remember at Christmas. You know, at Christmas, my dad, we'd usually get an orange for Christmas. Just an orange. Sometimes it was a bad year, we'd get an orange peel. It's <laughs> an old joke. My dad used to tell me that in the Depression, they'd get orange peels for Christmas. But you know what my dad did every year at Christmas? Every year he gave my mom a really special, special gift, and she'd open it and she'd go, oh. she'd go, oh, Jim. And I knew what she was thinking. I, can, we can't afford this. But you know what? He always honored her in that way. And I'm just a little kid watching it holding my orange. <laughs> and, and you know what I knew? I knew my dad loved my mom first. First. And you know what that does to kids? It gives them great security. That my dad loves my mom, period. Period. Are, are they different? Do they have disagreement? Yeah, but he loves her. You know what? He's not going anywhere. That's leadership. I got a lot more I want to say, but I'm going to move to number three. He demonstrated wisdom. Hey, hey by the way, guys, these things I'm giving you, let's apply them to our lives right now in what we're doing. Number three, he de demonstrated wisdom by spending time with us. He said, I thought he studied on Saturday. Yeah, he did, but he'd take breaks. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, they had one college football game on Saturday, one. You, you guys my age remember that. Uh, you young guys, there were three channels. That was it. And there was one college game on Saturday, and there was one pro game on, on Sunday. My dad was a, was a gifted athlete. He uh, was All-State in two sports in high school, went to college on a full ride for basketball. World War II was on his way to the Philippines. The ship stopped in Honolulu. They pulled him off. And for four years, he was a military policeman, but his real assignment was to play football, basketball, and baseball for the Army team in Hawaii. And that's what he did. And his football coach was the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So in 45, when the war was over, they offered my dad a contract, and he turned him down. Because as you know, you can't support a family playing pro ball. <laughs> At least you couldn't in 45. My dad loved sports. So when my dad watched football, he'd be on the couch for a few minutes, and then he'd stretch out on the floor. And I'm the oldest of three boys. And what we'd do is my dad get on the floor, and we'd be all over him, just kind of hanging out, you know. And, and during the commercials, my dad invented a game called Run Through the Line. It's one of the great games in Western civilization. And what we do is we always have a little football. And so as soon as the commercial, my dad said, all right, Steve, go. And he'd throw me the ball. I'd get on one in the living room, and then he'd get on his knees, and Mike and Jeff would get on their knees, and you had to run through the line and get on the other side and get to the couch. <laughs> and my mom would come by and goes, Jim, Jim. And we broke lamps. <laughs> we broke. But you know what? We loved it. And then we got too big, and so he invented a game called interception. We go out in the street. My dad was the quarterback. One of us would snap the ball. One of us was the receiver. One of us was the defensive back. And if you got three completions, you got another four downs. We went right down the street. We played for hours, 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 hours. <laughs> we do that. We loved it. We had fun with my dad. Fun. You guys that have got kids at home, when was the last time you had fun? When was the last time you were with, with, W-I-T-H, with? Just get with them. Okay. I, 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 let, me, let me wrap. I, I got two more. Um, What's my heading here? Oh, he demonstrated wisdom, number four, uh, by making big mistakes. My dad made a lot of mistakes, just like I make mistakes and just like you make mistakes. You know the thing I appreciate about my dad? As I got older, if there was something out of whack and I didn't think my dad had... Um, you know, I, here's what I'm trying to say to you. I could always talk to my dad and he would listen to me. He would listen I always appreciated that about my dad. He would listen to me. 
And as I got older, there were times when I'd say, you know, Dad, you say this, and then, you know, Dad, you did this, and that doesn't add up to me. And I never once remember him getting defensive. I remember him saying, you know, Steve, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? And I, and I was scared to death, but I felt, you know, it was, it was kind of a crisis deal. And he, goes, he, said, he said, Steve, that just doesn't add up, does it? And I said, well, Dad, it's just, he goes, you know what, Steve? You're right, I'm wrong. Thanks for pointing that out to me. I, I tell you, I love my dad for that. I remember the time in my church where we were studying the doctrine of our church, and my dad was chairman of the deacon board, and, there was a, and they were signing us different doctrines, and each Sunday you had to make a presentation in the college class. And I remember the Sunday I was given this particular doctrine that was sort of the hallmark doctrine of our denomination. So I started to you know, study it, and I got to make a 15-minute presentation, so I'm looking at common and all this. And I started reading this, and I thought, you know what? I don't think this adds up. This doesn't add up to me at all. So I went and told my dad, and I, he said, why don't you think it adds up? And I said, Dad, look at this, and then over here there's this, and you see this guy in this commentary says this. He said, well, that sounds pretty strong to me, Steve. I said, it does? He said, yeah. yeah. He said, Dad, what do you think I ought to do? Because i got to present this. He said, I'd get up and give him the word of God. And I did. And it caused a really big deal in the church. <laughs> but you know what I love about my dad? He was honest. And he always said, hey, Steve, the word of God is the authority. If it's in the word, it's in the word. And my dad took all kinds of heat for that. But I'm grateful for that model and for that example. My dad went bankrupt when I was a senior in high school. He'd built with some other guys 400 apartment buildings, and it went under. And uh, that was tough. That was really hard. And I remember when my dad drove a Cadillac, and I remember when he had to borrow my Volkswagen. I remember when we lost that house, and we moved into a little apartment. I remember those, those tough years. And years later, I talked to my dad about that. And I asked him about that. And he said, well, you know, Steve, he said, I overreached. I overreached. I appreciated my dad was willing to tell me that he had made a mistake. And he was honest about it. But then he had tried to correct it. So how are you on that, guys? How are you with a mistake? What do you do with it? Will you admit it? And then do you move to correct it? See, that's spiritual leadership. That's, let me tell you something. Following the Lord fully means that when you screw up, you acknowledge it. It doesn't mean you don't ever screw up. It means but when you do, you take care of it. Okay. And then I remember when, and they had several years that were really hard, hard years financially. And I remember then things got better. And I remember years later talking to my dad about that. And my dad said, you know, Steve, the difference? I said, how'd that all happen, Dad? When did things start getting better? He said, you know, my dad had always been a giver, always a tither. And when those years got so lean, he said, you know what I did, Steve? He said, I quit giving. It was so tight, I didn't feel like I could afford it. And one day I was studying in the morning, and the Lord convicted me. I need to give. And I talked to your mom, and she said, we need to give. And, so we, and we didn't have much to give, but we gave. And that's when we started to pull out of it. And that year was an amazing year for us. And then what I decided was, you know what? God's given me so much, I'm going to give 20% of my income. And he did. And I said, so, Dad, what, what, how did that work out? And he says, well, you know, Steve, it says, given it shall be given unto you. He said, my income went up 13 times. My dad taught me how to give. I'm grateful for that model. Here's my last one, and then I'm done. And I don't know what number I'm on, and I really don't care. Am I on five? Yeah, I just put a number down. It's all right. Pick a number, any number. Uh, here's the next one, whatever number it is. You know what, yeah. 
You, you got four? You got five? Good. That's the right one. Uh, I honestly don't know. Because if I go over them, I'm going to realize the one I missed, and I don't have time to go over it. I'm on number... Um, uh, he taught me to give was number five. And now I'm on number six. Here's the last one. And this may be right up at the top. My, my dad demonstrated wisdom to me by getting kinder and sweeter as he got older. You know, a lot of guys, when they get older, turn into old farts. In the Greek, it's fartizo. I think. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been around old guys? Old guys are just crotchety and just always kind of... And you don't want to be around them? Well, you know, look, my dad, my dad had the spiritual gift of irritability. He's a lot like me. And there were times my dad would just get irritable. There were, there were times he would just... But, but, you know, it was interesting to me. At the memorial service, my son John got up. And one of the things he said, he said, when I was young, at times I wasn't sure Papa liked me. The reason for that is... When John was young, we lived in another state, and we'd all have these family celebrations, and suddenly my dad's got, you know, 19 grandkids hanging around, and it just, you know, he only takes so much. I mean, I get irritable, and it's my own kid. But, and John said, there were times I wasn't sure that Papa liked me. And my dad could get irritable. This is what John said. He said, the last five, six, seven years, I've noticed that Papa got kinder. And he got sweeter. And my whole family, when John was saying that, I was standing here, and my whole family was right there, and I watched everybody in my family go. Everybody. Not, not one exception. Yep, he did. He got sweeter and kinder than my mom. He just got kinder and sweeter. And you know what? Most guys don't do that. But you know what I think happened? I think the Lord convicted my dad about that in his own life, and when you follow the Lord fully and the Spirit of God points things out to you, what do you do? You work on it and you follow him. I'm grateful for that. Now, you may not be 85. I don't know what you are. Doesn't matter what age you are. You might be 19, you might be 20. I, I don't know what the heck you are. But you know what, guys? Here's what we want to do. Tonight, we walk out of here, we want to follow the Lord fully. No matter where we are. Because our days are short, teach us to number our days that we might present to thee a heart of wisdom. And I'm telling you, you're going to influence someone. You're going to impact someone. And you'll probably never know about it till you get to heaven. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, our hearts get divided. And when we realize it, may we take care of it immediately. We all have different family responsibilities. Even if we're single, we're still in a family. We want to be men who grow. We want to be men who are not children and babes anymore, but men that are moving on to maturity. Do your work by your spirit in our hearts. And if there's an area in our hearts, in our lives, that are not yielded to you, may we bring it to you and lay it on the altar and give it all to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.